Wow. If they don't light your fire, your wood is wet. Man. I believe that last song is born somewhat out of these scripture verses we're going to talk about this morning. The powerful name of Jesus. Nothing, nada, zilch can stand against it. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be looking at, at verses 14 through 19. The church must protect the truth. The truth. There is a truth. There is an absolute truth, regardless of what the world out there will try to tell you. Let me read these passages, and then we'll dig a little deeper into them. 2 Timothy 2, starting with verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenius and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Let's pray. Father, your name is above every name. Your son's name is above every name. We come this morning, Father, wanting to learn a little bit more, take in a little bit more in our hearts about how we can live that out in this world. How we can become an approved worker, once accepted and, and, and blessed by you. And how we can stand against the lies of the adversary. Because they are many. Help us to be strong, Father. Teach us right now with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. At Jesus' trial before Pilate, he tells Pilate this, For this I was born, he says, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate's response, his only response was, What is truth? Can you answer that question? Well, if you can't, maybe you will by the end of this sermon. Paul is writing his final letter to Timothy, and he's writing it with an urgency to stem the rise of heresy that's kind of found its way inside the walls of the church, if you can say that. It's attempting to get inside. It's maybe inside already. And he's helping Timothy fight this. And after the trustworthy saying that he gives in, in verses 11 through 13, Paul wants to encourage them and show them how some people have denied Christ and how some people have been faithless toward Christ. Paul's identifying the dangers and the sources of some very, very heretical teaching that was going on at the church at Ephesus. And then he also gives Timothy what to do about it, tells him what to do about it. 
So the main ideas from this passage this morning are that God commands Timothy and the church to protect the truth of God from all false teachings. To protect the truth of God. And, and God's true church must diligently and confidently, confidently protect that truth. Guard it. Guard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes with our very lives from the lies and the invasion of falsehood. We're called to that. Let's see how Paul tells us. He gives us some protective measures to take, some protective steps, if you can call it that, to take to keep heresy from ruining our faith and ruining the church. God gives us here defensive and offensive measures to ward off those things that try to tear down the truth. The first thing he does is he gives us some defensive maneuvers. Defend God's truth by rejecting their lies. Defend God's truth by rejecting their lies. Verses 14 and then 16 through 18. I'm going to read those again. We're having to take these in parts because Paul kind of mixed it all in together. He says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. And then jump down to verse 16. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and ruining and are ruining the faith of some. God's truth regarding Christ was under attack at the church at Ephesus and at other places, other churches. And if you want to know some of that, you can go read the book of Revelations verses chapters 2 and 3. Chapters 2 and 3, you can see some of the wars that were going on in the first century against some churches. Now, Paul gives Timothy some very defensive measures here to take. First of all, in verse 14, he says, under the authority of God, charge them with this, do not listen to them. And do not fight about it. He's pretty, pretty strong language. Don't quarrel, don't argue, don't debate with the heretics. Don't do that. Wrangling Wrangling about whether the words of Paul or Jesus were true was useless with these liars. It's useless. There was a thing going around in the first century after about 30 years when there were people no longer around everywhere that had seen Jesus, that had talked to Jesus, that had walked with Jesus. And so they begin to circulate this idea that, okay, well, you don't know what you're talking about, Paul, because you never walked with Jesus. They, they started that idea. Now, I believe he walked with Jesus for the three years he spent in Arabia, that Jesus came to him and gave him some incredible wisdom. But I'm speculating a little bit. The Bible doesn't say that clearly, just that he was off by himself. But the authenticity of what they were telling and teaching was being questioned at every turn by people who had snuck inside the church. Now, Paul, he wants us to defend the church and defend the truth in the church, but he's not wanting us to go out there and debate the people who are heretics, those who are seeking to deface the, culture, the truth in our culture. There is no value in that debate. I've never argued anybody into the kingdom of God. Even if I won the debate, they've ne they're not going to come to Christ unless God changes their heart. And that's, that's a much quieter thing than a big debate. 
Don't let God's word be put on the same level as man's word. This is why Paul says don't debate them. When you, when you step on a stage with someone who is atheist, someone who doesn't trust God at all, and you say, I'm going to debate him, you're putting God's word, you're bringing this book down to man's reasoning level. And you're saying, okay, I have to prove from this book that your logic is wrong. I do not have to do that. This book is much higher than his logic. This book is much higher and has more authority than anything man comes up with. So I don't need to debate them and put God's word on his level. Now, you want to have discussions about passages of scripture and, you know, six days of creation versus six eras of creation. We could talk about that, but I'm not going to debate you about the principal truths of God's word, making it something on an even playing field with man, because it isn't. It isn't. And once we, as the church, believe that and accept that and live it out that way, it changes everything then I don't have to argue with people. When I present the gospel to someone, when I present some truth to someone, when I tell them what the book of, of, the, of God says, and they don't believe it, they don't believe it. I'm just, I'm in advertising. I'm not in sales. I'm not in manufacturing either. So when the human reason is given the same authority as God's word, the debate is already lost for us because we're putting God down on man's level. And God's way above it. His ways are not our ways, right? Isn't that what the Bible says that what Isaiah wrote? It ruins people's faith. It ruins confidence. It ruins even adhering to the truths of the gospel when someone is allowed to deface it on some sort of public stage or some sort of gathering, and especially in the church. Paul says it's really bad. You go down to verse 16. He said there, avoid, reject, stay clear of any speaking ill of God's truth irreverent and empty words. He says, don't pay any attention to that. What are irreverent and empty words? Well, irreverent just means godless, okay? Godless, it's not setting God's word as the standard, which I just talked about. It's profane, it's truthless. It's truthless. And it becomes toothless. <laughs> it's divisive when it's irreverent. And the empty speech means no substance. It's completely unreasonable in God's eyes. It's invalid under God's authority in the church. This is really not a new problem, okay? Paul is not giving us a new problem. Oh, we didn't know that, it happened, that was going on. We know that's going on. This is not a new problem. But Paul has been fighting this for a little while. Acts chapter 20, he speaks to the elders from Ephesus, this very church, and he says, be careful, wolves are coming in. Not wolves might come in, you might get this heretical guy show up. They are coming. Acts chapter 20, Ephesians chapter 4, to the church at Ephesus, he says, watch out, they're coming. This person is doing that, this person is teaching that. And then even in, to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, he once again says, watch out, they're teaching heresy, they're teaching lies. So it's not a new problem. These godless heretics, they only bring more godlessness. They only, bring, they only take God out of the church. They really don't help anybody get more godly. And so we need to stop entertaining their points. Stop entertaining their, giving them an audience. That's what Paul is telling them. Don't give them a chance. And in verse 17, he says, engaging them gives them credibility, gives them some credibility to their rhetoric, what they're passing along. And it spreads like an infection. And he uses the word gangrene. 
And yes, gangrene's been around. That word has been around since 400 B.C. And it's been the same thing the whole time. Some sort of infectious disease that, that eats away the flesh because circulation has been cut off or hampered. Gangrene was a real thing. And, and this her heresy is like a cancer eating away at the truth. We need to refuse it in audience. We don't need to give it any kind of traction. And then Paul goes on here to name two, in, in verse 17, to name two of these heretics, Hymenius and Philetus. Boy, isn't it a terrible thing to be named in God's word as a liar and a heretic? But he'd already talked about Hymenius in verse Timothy 1.20. He says, I've already handed Hymenius over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. And now he's getting written about again in the second letter. That is not a legacy you want to leave behind. And also Hymenius has dragged another person into it, Philetus, so much so that Paul names him. And I think Paul doesn't, I don't think he likes to dime people out. I don't think he likes to embarrass people. So I think this had to get pretty bad before Paul would actually write his name down. But hear what they were, the lie they were telling. Hear what he says. The resurrection of the saints has happened already, and it's not a bodily resurrection. Boy, that would just unravel a lot of our faith and doctrine, that we don't believe that there's a bodily resurrection at the end. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's already taught about this. He wrote the, the Corinthians about it. 1 Corinthians 15, long chapter, 50 plus verses, but read it. Because it is about the end, it is about the coming, it is about the change, and it is about the bodily resurrection. But they were ignoring the teachings of Paul. They were even ignoring the teachings of Jesus here just to wreak havoc in the church, just to, just to cause people's faith to take a little nosedive. So what is the defense? Reject it. Deny them an audience. Do not listen to it. Avoid it. Eradicate it from your midst. Sometimes we, we, especially in America, we love to debate things and talk about things. And, and, and so sometimes we want to give people a chance. Well, let me hear what they're, what they're thinking. There is no chance with God's word. God's word is God's word. If you want to hear their rebuttals or their ideas, that, that's fine. But don't even try to talk them out of them. Just show them the truth. That's been the most effective tool I've ever found is, listen, I don't, I don't know what you've been how you've been raised or what you've been taught. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ went to heaven. Jesus Christ is the only way we can be right with God. That's what we've got to tell them. Paul addresses this lie that they were telling in Thessalonica because it had sprung up there. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, he tells them to the same thing he's telling these guys at Ephesus. Reject it. Don't listen to it. Listen to what he says. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. My grandfather said, don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. That's what Paul's telling them right here. Don't believe what you've heard. The Lord's day has not happened. The resurrection has not happened. It will one day, but it hasn't happened yet. This is kind of like when we start giving other people's ideas in church a, a, a platform, if you will, or an opportunity to speak and share their heresy, it's kind of like that telephone game. Remember the telephone game? 
Get a group of people together, sit them in a circle, whisper something in somebody's ear and watch it go around the circle. And when it comes out the other end, it isn't even close. And I've played this a lot with kids and other youth. It's never even close. That's terrible. But that's exactly what happens to God's truth when we do that. When we let it circulate without verifying, without checking it. Listening one time in that game was not enough to pass along the truth. And the lie just grows and grows. So defending our faith, defending our minds, and defending our lives from error that's portrayed as truth, it starts with not listening. <laughs> not listening to the lie. Not listening to the lie. It's useless to the edification of believers. If we give another truth consideration, it, it's, it's, it's not helpful at all. You know, people today change their mind like they change their socks. It's almost daily. You know, they come up with, oh, I, I believe this now, or I think this now. So we have to watch out for that. So people start, oh, I discovered, I found out, I heard. Watch it when you hear that. It ruins the faith and confidence of those who might hear lies. See, because <laughs> the sinful curiosity of humanity, okay, I'm curious, I'm very curious, and I will take, take things apart to find out how they work and usually can't put them back together. I'm very curious. But, but humanity is very curious, all of us, in a sinful way. And it leads to us giving a toehold, just a little toehold for error to get in. I mean, if you, if you look at all the heresies that have been defeated in, in all of the years of, the, of Christianity, 2,000 years, it's because somebody got some little toehold idea stuck in people's minds. It doesn't need to happen. That sinful curiosity can lead us down the wrong path. And, and in the end, their speech is really void of understanding and knowledge of the truth. So we need to shut out the lies. We need to shut up the lies, really. We need to shut them out. We need to cancel anything that's printed that spouses false assertions, false opinions as fact. And there is a lot of stuff out there that does that. And a lot of it comes through your smartphone, your TV, and it comes in the form of things we used to trust. But why do people believe it? And I'm glad you've asked that question. Why do people believe these heresies? Because their faith is weak. There it is, it's truth. Their faith is not grounded. Um, and most pay people with a little bit of weak faith, they're looking for something new. They're looking for something else to hang on to. They're looking for some other solution to their problems instead of coming to Christ, instead of facing them with God on their side. In a religion-soaked society, which we still, I think, are in a religion-soaked society, you know, we have a lot of people that say they don't claim any religion, but there's a lot of people that do. When they have no faith, they crave something new. They crave an idea. They crave, they crave a savior. They're just looking for the wrong, in the wrong place. If you, read, if you read chapter Acts, or chapter Acts, if you read Acts chapter 17, if you read Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34, you'll get a, an experience of this. Paul is at the Areopagus in, in Greece, in Athens, Greece, and he is there just kind of by God's sovereign hand, and he gets a chance to debate with a whole bunch of philosophers in that Areopagus. It's a big area. They would come there, and it says in, in Acts 17, they come because they like to hear new ideas. 
When I say somebody says new ideas and God's word with me, I was like, uh-uh, not listening. There are no new ideas with God's word. There aren't. The truth is the truth. Paul does a great job of, uh, of ministering to them and reaching out to them with truth, but he never gives them a chance to counter, which is good. So how do we recognize the untruth, the heresy? Well, here's one of the key ways you're going to recognize that, okay? It never calls for faith, confession, repentance, or obedience. New ideas don't want to wrinkle your feather, ruffle your feathers and wrinkle you a little bit. They don't want to bother you. It never calls for faith, confession, or repentance to Jesus. And eventually, it will deny that the Bible is true. Or it will at least deny that it is God's flawless, inerrant word. And it is. Every word of it. Every word of it. So our one defense against the lies and the false ideas is not to listen. Just turn it off. Click it off. Pay it no mind. Avoid it, reject it, deny it an audience. And I know that's hard sometimes, especially when a family member is getting into something and you just go, that's not going in a good direction. Have a conversation with them, but don't let them have a platform. We need to do the same inside the walls of the church. So that's the defense. That's the defense measure that Paul and God has given us. Just block it out. But to defend yourself by not giving it a place to be heard is good. But as George Washington said, the best defense is a good offense. Yes, George Washington said that, not Vince Lombardi. So the best defense is a good offense. Defeat the, the lies by knowing God's truth. That's point number two this morning. Defeat the lies by knowing God's truth. Here's what Paul encourages them. Verses 14 through 15. Listen to this. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Then skip down to verse 19, because this is my favorite part of this. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription. The Lord knows who's those, those who are his. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. There's some powerful truth in there, but this is our offense. This is our offensive play. This is our offensive strategy. Paul leads out in verse 14. He says, remind them of these things. Well, if you want to know what these things are, you can at least just go back up to verse 8 and read that whole section. But I would go back to chapter 1, verse 1, because these things Paul has already written down. Remind them of these things. Remember Jesus risen from the dead. Remember Jesus risen from the dead. I mean, that's where he starts in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. God's word is truth, and it's all of it. So spend time reminding yourself about it. You have a Bible. See, Paul, Paul's telling Timothy to remind them because they don't have a Bible like we do. Matter of fact, most of them probably didn't even have an Old Testament Bible. They didn't have a Jewish Bible. Probably most of them were Gentiles. But we have a Bible. Remind yourself. Remind yourself of these things. The next step, verse 15. This one's, this one's tough. But this is what we got to do. Be diligent. Be diligent in your intake and studying and understanding of God's word. Be diligent. 
Paul is spurring Timothy on to understand God's word so well that God approves of his work. Did you know you can learn God's word good enough to improve, be approved by God? You can. There's no end to study. I, don't want, I mean, I don't want to spoil it. There's no, no end to the studying of it to be approved by God. But as we study, as we be diligent, understand it so well that God approves this. And discipline, there's the D word, discipline is the only way you can do this. You've got to be disciplined in it. Discipline is the only way anyone ever becomes an unashamed worker for God. Discipline for God's truth. You know, this is really true about any profession. I mean, you've met people over your life. You, you've met people who are really good, smart. They know everything, you know, auto mechanic, a jet mechanic, anybody. Discipline is required to be really good at your job. And it's Definitely required to be really good at God's word. So give effort. Make a commitment. Have faith in you, what you're doing. Some days you're going to walk away from your Bible and go, I didn't get a thing out of that today. Have faith that you will, because you will. Give the Holy Spirit time. Give the Holy Spirit situation. Obey what you know already. Be allegiant, committed, sworn to what you already know in Christ and keep learning. And here's the hard part of discipline. You've got to spend some time doing it. I mean, time, we don't, we don't, we don't like that. We're always checking our watches, right? God doesn't have a, a wristwatch or a calendar. So he, he, he put time here for us to march through the days, but we've got to take some of that commodity and invest it. It must be given to God's word. All of those things. Full engagement of our souls in the inerrant word of God is the offense against falsehoods. How do you, how do you know what a falsehood is? Because you know what the truth is. Timothy, Paul says, make it your mission to present yourself to God as a worthy worker of truth. That's my paraphrase. But that's basically what he's telling him. That's basically what he's telling him. Make it your mission to present yourself to God as a worthy worker of truth. How? By faithful study, by convicted obedience, and by humble proclaiming of God's word to others. I mean, these disciplines in Christ will remove the hint of shame from their defense of truth. Paul's telling him, don't be ashamed, be diligent. By repetition, repetition, repetition. Stay in God's word. Keep in after it. And then verse 19, here is the ultimate offensive step against the falsehoods of heresy. Verse 19, let me read it again. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. The church of Jesus Christ is the ultimate offensive weapon against heresy. That's why we're supposed to defend it. We're supposed to defend truth, protect it, and propagate it. He says, God's solid foundation, that is the church. That's all it can mean right there is God's church, the body of Christ. Not the building, not the organization, not even just the idea of church, but the blood-bought saints who relish Jesus as their Savior.
who sing at the top of their lungs, how great is our God who saved us. And then he gives a great description of the inscription that's on this solid foundation. The church is comprised of the ones God knows are his children. God has no doubt who's his children. He raises them up to fight against attacks that are against his word. To fight the the heretics that sneak in. The church is comprised of the ones God knows are his children. When the confusion of false teachers creates an indecision in your life or worry or regarding your, and maybe worry regarding your eternal security, Paul reminds them of God's sovereign choice of his children. You are born again. You are chosen, a royal priesthood. So we need to live like it. That's what Paul's telling them. Live like it. God knows who's his Paul also reminds them of their part in this as well. At at the second part, their call upon the Lord for rescue, for salvation, means obedience. Once you have been saved, you are now called to obedience. Those who profess a faith in Jesus must, must turn away. We've heard that word before, but we call it repentance, right? We must turn away from all wickedness. All of it. All of it. We don't we don't need to leave any on us. We don't need to give it a place. We don't need to be soft on sin. We need to be gracious, but we don't need to be soft. See, these two quotes that Paul puts here, they're actually from the Old Testament. And they kind of both come from Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16 describes a rebellion that happened against Moses. Moses had led the people out of Israel. By chapter 16, they had rejected going into the promised land because they thought the people were too big and they were too small. But then along comes along uh, number 16, and a guy named Korah, K-O-R-A-H, Korah, decides to launch a rebellion against Moses and his brother Aaron, saying that they're no different than they are. But God, this is literally the words he used, God shows who are his. The earth opens, swallows Korah and two other guys and their entire families. Just, they're gone. Then fire from from the the tent of meeting comes out and kills the 250 men that were rebelling with him. But before it's over, there's a plague. And 14,950 total die because they rebelled against God. God knows who his are. And God doesn't play around with his truth. He doesn't at all. Now, Paul quotes this last part, too, and and, uh, it's actually from Joel 2.32 as well. In Romans 10.13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he also, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord needs to turn from all kinds of wickedness. See, God expects allegiance once he saves you. God expects obedience once he saves you. But that's the beautiful thing about grace. We don't always do it. We always miss That's what the word sin means, but we have grace to keep trying. And that's the call on our hearts. Salvation is not a one-time event, but an eternal call to obedience in Christ Jesus. And those identifying their life with Christ in faith are to reject the wickedness of the world. Reject it. See, God makes it really clear to defend the truth. The church must stand together against lies in their midst. 
We need to be united in faith, united in obedience against all the lies that Satan's going to pour at us. And he is throwing a lot at us today. The church is the best offense against lies. Amen? Jesus made it pretty clear, really, that truth wins the day. John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus said to some of the Jews that believed in him, said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, he prayed for, for us. He prayed for us, and he said this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is truth. Okay? You don't have any reason to doubt it. But sanctify them in your truth. Jesus prayed for us to hang on to truth because truth wins the day. Let's go back to the telephone game for a second. What if after every person was shared the secret, someone stepped in and went, no, it's this, and corrected it all the way around? I know it wouldn't be any fun, right? Because it's fun to hear what they come up with at the end. Well, that's the point. Truth comes out at the end. When we continually remind ourselves of these things, when we continually be diligent with God's word in our life, truth comes out at the end. Truth wins. So don't be lazy. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. Don't be lazy. God expects us to invest time and effort in his word. So we keep repeating it until it sticks. So there's nothing wrong with having to read the same chapter over and over again. It really isn't. Most of you that have reading, reading your Bible through, reading your Bible at this time of year, you've shared with me things that you said, I never saw that before. Welcome to the crowd. This is my 11th year of doing it in a row, and it, every time I go, wow, he did that? That was in there? Keep discovering because you keep doing it over and over again. Put ways in your life to be reminded of what these things are, that Jesus came, lived, died, was buried, rose, and has ascended to the Father to intercede for us. Put things in your life that remind you of that. One of them is Sunday morning worship. That's one of the, my job is to remind you of these things and then hopefully encourage you enough that you go out and remind yourself as well. Daily prayer, reading your Bible, listening to your Bible, diligently pursue God's truth, Memorize it. Meditate on it. Seek understanding. There's plenty of helps out there. If you wonder, come talk to me. I got plenty of help. I need it. The only way to avoid error is to be sunk down in the Word of God, basically just grounded in it. Do your best to avoid the shame that comes from not handling the Word of God right. Gain the trust and approval of God Almighty of how you teach the Word of God. You know, I, I had to stop and think about what would be shameful about this. Why, why would they be ashamed? And why would Paul use that as kind of a motivation for holding on to the truth better? Because shame comes when we don't remember what God's done for us, when we forget that Jesus Christ died for us, that he hung on a cross and bled for us. We need to recollect that every day. I have a Savior who died for me. And see, our gratitude fades when our diligence lags. 
and vice versa. When our diligence lags, our gratitude fades. We stop being grateful for what Jesus has done for us. Our effort wanes because we forget the cross. Our effort wanes because of that. Remember the cross. Remind yourself of these things. But you know what? When you do, the doubts dissipate. Your hearts turn back to God's truth and you rest in it completely. Solo scriptura was, a, was one of the statements during the Reformation. Only the Bible, the Bible alone. And, and it was coupled with several. It said, because salvation is according to the scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Those five statements help us to remember why we believe what we believe. These, those very facts are woven into our Baptist faith and message. So we need to learn to live our life accordingly. You know why? <laughs> this is going to hurt because it hurt me. Disobedience is a sign of not trusting God. Disobedience is a sign that you don't trust him. It's a clear sign when we don't hold to the truth. And most of our insidious little sins we, we kind of brush off most days, they're, they're detrimental to our life. They're, they're barriers to our defense of the truth. For example, worry. Worry. You know what worry is? Atheism. Worthy, worrying is just atheism. You don't trust God. You don't believe in God. He, he can handle it. Lust. That's self-worshipping. Lying. That's self-deceiving, really. Slander. That's self-edifying. You're lifting yourself up at someone else's expense. Boasting is self-gratifying. Rebellion against the truth is self-governing. And we are all guilty of these sins. We all have these sins in our lives at some point. But thanks be to God, he forgives us in Christ. So remind yourself to be diligent, to work for the truth, to unite with the church, to stand against heresy. Obedience is the best way. So to kind of summarize this, Paul wages a war against the lies that are permeating and penetrating and getting inside the church. He wages a war from prison himself by instructing us to resist the debates, to resist the, the arguments, and be offensive with what we know. Be diligent in what we know. These actions against the culture that's attempting to silence the church, and, and the culture is attempting to silence the church. Every day I read an article or something about someone trying to prosecute a church, a Christian, for promoting the truth. These actions will help ensure that our faith is firm to the end. But if you're here this morning and you wonder if you belong to Jesus, if your faith has been ruined by something you've listened to, if you're godless, if you have succumbed to the lies, the great news is you can call on Jesus. He can forgive and he can save you. And he can help you abstain from all that wickedness. Because he is the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except through him. And he offers all you have to do is believe. Faith is the act of calling on him. Now, I promised at the start I'd tell you a little bit more about how you can enjoy that new heaven and new earth. Well, this is how. Faith trusts in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. It was a sacrifice that God required. Jesus took your death sentence. He will pay for your sins. 
if you trust him, if you believe in him. And when you do, your heart will want to repent. Your heart will want to turn away from everything you've been trusting in, everything you've relied on. It'll change your attitude about all the crimes you committed against God. So trust Jesus to be forgiven. That's grace. See, God didn't have to do it. That's grace. He's giving you something that you do not deserve. Now, believer, you and I are guilty of not fully defending God's truth in this lost and dying culture, and I'm just as guilty of it as the next man. We need to protect this house and not this building, but us. We need to protect each other. We need to help each other move along and not be distracted by something we read, even if it's on a quote-unquote Christian website or a Christian Twitter account. Be careful. Ask other people. Sometimes we may rely too much on the government to defend us. We may. We may rely on too much on the government to, to keep our rights to freedom of religion, thinking that our vote will make the land righteous. It won't because it's full of men and women. We're all sinners. So truth is only God's people praying. The truth is that God, only God's people praying, seeking his face, repenting of their sins and turning from their wicked ways, that's the only way truth actually survives. Not our country necessarily, not our form of government, but truth. Because that's what's going to be there in the end. So we need to get busy spreading God's truth, the gospel, because that wins in the end. That wins in the end. There's only two things that last forever, the word of God and the souls of men. We need to get busy helping both of those. So let's take some time right now to pray about these truths, to pray over the things that may have come up in your heart and your mind during the sermon. And if you want to bring those burdens to the front or just bring them to God, let's take some time of silent prayer to do that right now. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.